The Lord's been doing this the last few years, giving us a, a banner or an anthem for the year. In 2020, it was Strong Families. In 2021, it was we're going to trust the Lord more than ever before. Last year, it was we're being shaped by the Word and led by the Spirit. This year, uh, I felt impressed in, in prayer on Tuesday morning prayer meeting over here, December 6th. The Lord put this phrase in my spirit, every home and altar. And that's what we're going for this year is that every home, every household that's part of Siege Church the Lord is going to make our homes an altar. And the thing is, is that we get to be willing participants. The Lord's not going to force us. He's not going to make us. He might nudge us. He might guide us. But we have to say yes. Yeah. To say, Lord, we want to make our home an altar. We want to teach us, Holy Spirit, what it looks like to be living sacrifices. Because that's what altars are for, right? They're, they're for sacrifices. And Lord, we want to not just uh, experience your presence on a Sunday morning in service or a Wednesday night prayer meeting or, or over here at the life group meeting. But God, we want to host your presence in our home. Yeah. And so whether you're married or whether you're single, whether you're an empty nester, whether whatever your situation is, make the commitment in your heart. Lord, I, I want to come into agreement with what you're doing in our community. I want to make my home an altar. Amen? Yeah. So today we're going to talk about people who... Seek and pursue. People who seek and pursue. And, and speaking of seeking and pursuing, have you ever wondered why cheetahs never play hide and seek? Russell, this is just for you. Because <laughs> they're always spotted. You know why Loki threw a temper tantrum while he was playing hide and seek? Because he was a Thor loser. <laughs> Why is it impossible to play hide and seek at the airport? Because you're always hiding in plain sight. <laughs> Jessie is in torture. She's being tortured down here. If you play hide and seek in a hospital, where do you want to avoid? Yeah, I see you. Yeah. you know, I've been trying for years, for the last few years, to, to get a local hide-and-seek competition going, which has been incredibly difficult. You know, good, good players are hard to find. Oops. All right, stand up with me. We're going to honor God's word. We're going to read it aloud together. It's good to have fun in church. Amen. Amen. Yeah, or whatever that was. Bless your heart. We're going to read Psalm 132 today. We're going to read it all together aloud. Are you ready to read verses 2 through 5? Ready? David swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we set our hearts now 
toward your face these next 28 days intentionally together corporately seeking you lord we thank you for the promise in hebrews eleven six that says that without faith it is impossible to please you that that you are rewarder of those who diligently seek you so we come to you in this time with faith we come to you knowing that you are you are wanting us to draw near to you we thank you for that promise in james chapter 4 that as we draw close to you that you will draw close to us So, Lord, I just pray right now that we would be those who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us today, that we would be washed by the water of your word, that we continue to be shaped by your word and led by your spirit, and that this day we would make the commitment and the decision that we are going to do whatever, to to come into agreement with you, Holy Spirit, to make our homes an altar. And the people of God said amen. Amen. You can be seated. And as you're seated, look at the person next to you. And say, let's seek the Lord together. (laughs) As we begin this year, 2023, I want to just take a moment here and cast some vision for us. I want to cast some vision for, for us as a church, for your home. And some vision for your heart individually. Here at Seeds, we're a people of pursuit. We're not a people of inaction or the status quo. We set our hearts toward making a difference for the kingdom of God here on earth. Our mission statement, the thing that that God put deep on the inside of us before we ever even knew that we were going to plant Seeds Church, the thing that he deposited on the inside of Jamie and I was that We're here to help people discover who God created them to be, and we're here to equip them to do what he called them to do. That takes action. That takes activity. And we're here to make a difference for the kingdom of God here on earth. Our goals, our numbers, our budgets, our buildings, our ministries, our prayers, our campaigns, our statistics, our wins, our losses, our Our purposes, they all have existed as a a constellation of stars to always point us to our one true north, which is Jesus Christ and his glory above all things. Amen. Today and next week and maybe maybe the week after that, I don't know. We'll see. I want to just remind us and orient us again. Forward-facing towards the future. Not with just, just some bullet point goals, which are good, but things that we may achieve, things we may not achieve. Or I, I, I don't want to just, just check some boxes just so that we can feel good about making progress. Goals, absolutely, certainly they have their place. But today, I want to call us to the starting line. And I want to encourage us and exhort us to take our marks And get ready and set and go in the direction of some guiding pursuits. And to once again commit ourselves corporately and individually to these things as our primary purpose. The the question today is, what does it look like to be a, a people who seek? What does it look like to be a people of pursuit? When you look at our world today... The 8 billion people that are on the planet, if you were to ask the question, what is the greatest currency? 
What is the greatest currency in the standard of wealth right now at this particular moment on the planet? There's one answer. And it might not be the answer that we initially think of. You know, some people might think, well, it's, it's the U.S. dollar. Or it's gold and silver. Some people might say, well, it's, it's crypto. Some people might even say, it's time. And all of those are great answers, but the true currency of the hour in which we live in is attention. It's what everybody's fighting for. Attention. It's what all the money is spent for. Attention. It's what all the social media platforms and the 24-hour news cycles and all the subscriptions that you can sign up for and buy into. It's what every government and council and confederation are vying for on the planet. It's all about attention. Do we have your attention? So today, we want to be a people who have set our attention upon the one who's seated on the throne. The one who has been and for will ever be eternally the worthy Lamb of God who was slain and resurrected and seated and enthroned. And he's worshipped and praised by the saints and the angels. And he's the soon coming king. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a person who waited to give God my attention until the day that Jesus came and cracks the eastern sky. I want to be actively giving him my attention today. I want to be actively uh, uh, already having my eyes firmly fixed upon the one who's enthroned. Let's not be a people who, well, someday down the road, we'll give God our attention. This is, this is a big temptation for young people, I think. Teenagers, young adults. Well, I'll, I'll really get serious about the things of God, you know, after high school. Well, I'll really get serious about the things of God after college. Well, I'll really get serious about the things of God when I know what my career is going to be. Well, I'll really get serious about the things of God when, when I get married. Oh, we'll really get serious about the things of God when we, when we have kids. But until then, it's playtime. I think one of the things that the, the enemy, that one of the lies that the enemy has fed us that we've believed is that somehow our joy is at opposition to God's plan for our life. Like, oh, just go have fun now. And then later, you can, you know, do the thing with God that you're going to do. Good. Listen, I'm telling you, your happiness and God's plan for your life are not at odds with one another. And when I say happiness, I don't mean like the world's version of happiness, like the, the fleeting, temporary version that just, oh, what, what, what makes me feel good right now? I'm talking about the deep wellspring of joy. That the whole, when the Holy Spirit causes us this, He causes us to have this good feeling in our hearts when we gaze upon Christ and we see His beauty in the Word and in the world that He's created. Listen, don't, young people, 
Don't wait to give God your attention later. Give it to him today. He's he's the worthy lamb. Every day that you go by without giving God your attention, one day, if that moment comes and you do decide to give him your attention, you'll regret every day before that. Why didn't I do this Let's be a people who are already actively giving our attention and affection to Jesus. What's the enemy of attention? Distraction. It's easy in our world to get distracted, right? How many of you have ever started out doing something and then just like, I don't know, a little bit of time passes and you realize that you are miles away from what you initially started doing? I I see some honest hands going up. All right, well, praise the Lord. Praise God for honesty in the house. It's a safe place for you. A lot of you should have raised your hand and you didn't. I'll tell them myself. One Saturday, I was reorganizing this closet at the house and going through it. I was like, oh, here's this guitar case I haven't seen in a while. There's a guitar in here I haven't played for a long time. So this is not very long into the reorganizing of the closet project. So I get the guitar out of the case, and I start sit down, and I start noodling around. Then I realize, man, this thing's dirty, and it needs a fresh set of strings on it. So I go over to where the box is, where I keep my fresh strings. And so I'm looking through my strings and trying to find the exact ones I want for that guitar. And then, um, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and then um, as I'm rifling through the box... I found an old SD card in there. And I'm like, what's this doing in here? I don't even know what this is. So I was like, i got to find out what's on this SD card. So I go over to my computer, my laptop, I put that thing in. I pull up the, my finder window, and I'm looking through the files. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Here are the, the family vacation photos from like three years ago. I need to put these on Facebook. So then I, 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 get, I get on Facebook. And then the very first thing that happens when I open Facebook is an an ad pops up for a concert that I've been wanting to go to. And so I'm like, oh, man, i got to get signed up. i got to get tickets for this concert. I don't want to get them sold out. So I get on my phone and I start texting a few people. Who wants to go to this concert with me? You know, who's in? You know, here's about how much the price range we're looking at from the seats. 20, 30 minutes later, I finally get answers back from people. And so then it's taken me a little bit of time to find all the seats where we can sit together in our price range. And then finally, it's like, great, I've got the seats. I've like Ticketmaster's giving me two minutes and I'll pay for this in, my, in the checkout on this. So I got to get my wallet. Where's my wallet? My wallet is over by the closet where I started reorganizing two hours ago. With no progress. What happened? I got distracted. (laughs) How do we fight against the gravitational pull of distraction? Because, you guys, that was like like kind of a more of a common scenario that used to have probably happened to us years ago. Today, most of our distraction comes from this device right here. I want to encourage you over the next 28 days. Yeah, I'm going to be deleting some apps. So I just remove the temptation for distraction. Over the next 28 days when you're doing your Bible reading, don't do it from here. I'm not, I'm not saying that if you do, you know, 
Jesus is displeased with you. No, if that's all you've got in the moment, that's fine. But what I'm saying is that's not a distraction-free environment to seek the Lord. Right? Go here. Old school. Paper and ink. And say, you know what? God, you're worth me putting my phone down. Me seeking you these 28 days is worth me doing it distraction-free as possible. You know, there's times where, you know, I, I learned this a few years ago, just this principle of learning how to, to harness the power of focus. Which means sometimes I'm in the middle of something and somebody else is wanting my attention. And my kids can attest to this. Say, hey, Dad, hey, check this out. Or, hey, Dad, you know, what do you think about that? And I'm like, hey, guys, hang on just a second. Give me five minutes. Give me ten minutes. Because I need to continue harnessing the power of focus to, to finish and accomplish what it is I'm doing right now. And then after five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is I'm done, I'll give you all of my attention. Yeah. I won't be distracted yes. when I'm giving you my attention. Yes. And then I won't be as distracted from when I'm trying to accomplish what I need to accomplish. How do we fight against the gravitational pull of distraction? We have to align our hearts. And that's what fasting and prayer does. It aligns our hearts with the heart of God. It brings it into alignment. How do we fight distraction? We have to make some difficult decisions. Some are just not that difficult. They're just uncomfortable. And sometimes they are difficult. And we have to give a thousand no's to many things, even sometimes things that are good. But we have to give a thousand no's so that we can give our few yeses to the best things. It's awfully quiet in here. I want to lay before you our primary focuses that I just mentioned a moment ago. Here's our primary focuses, our primary pursuits right here. Number one, the presence of God. Number two, the transformation of lives. That means your life, but also the lives that God has put you into other people to help them be transformed through the ministry that you have for them. The flourishing of our region, Middle Tennessee, God, God did not place you here and this church here just so that Middle Tennessee could be just go on along and do whatever it's going to do and be unaffected. He's placed us here so that Middle Tennessee could flourish for the kingdom of God. And then the other one is, is that the inheritance from the nations. That it's not just about our little locality. It's not just about our little home. It's not just about our little what we can see here, but it's about Far and beyond, going into all the world. Amen? So today, I just want to talk about this first pursuit. It's all we've got time for today. This first, the first pursuit, the presence of God. And here's what we're declaring. We're declaring that we will pursue the presence of God with reckless abandon. We will pursue the presence of God with reckless abandon. Would you just say that with me? We will pursue the presence of God with reckless abandon. Earlier, we read from Psalm 132. And the author is reflecting on King David's life. 
And he says, remember, O Lord, in David's favor, remember in his favor all the hardships that he's endured. And if you know anything about David's life, if you've read about his life, you know that you can recognize that David did not have an easy life. He had some incredibly challenging circumstances through life, and he spent a sizable chunk of his life on the run. He was running from his enemies, but not just that. He wasn't just running from something. He was also running toward the presence of God. And the psalm goes on to say, hey, God, remember how David promised you? He made a vow to you. Lord, I'm not going home. I'm not going to go to bed. I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm not even going to take a nap, God, until I find a home for the strong God of Jacob. David, this young man who was a shepherd that that God chose and selected when nobody else would have, God made him to be the king. And David lived his whole life saying, saying, God, I don't want you to be a commodity. I want you to be the center. I want everything to be about you. I don't just want to use you and leverage my relationship with you. God, I just want it to be all about you. And I just kind of get to be here for your purposes and plans. Not the other way around. Everybody else viewed God as useful. Hey, let's pull the Ark of the Covenant out and bring it out. When, when, you know, bring, let's bring God out. Let's bring the presence of God out when we need him. We're getting ready to go, to get, uh, go, go in battle against our enemies, so let's get the ark. Hey, let's pull God out of storage because we need him. Let's, let's, I, I tell you what, when we're done with the battle, let's put God in this religious place about 20 miles outside of our everyday lives, and every once in a while we'll go visit him. But when David finally became king over all of Israel, the the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, it had been relegated to Obed-Edom's house out in the outskirts of Israel. And David's first order of business is, let's go get the presence of God. Let's go get the Ark. So David led a procession to Obed-Edom's house. And he said, We're here for the presence. What's the deal with the Ark of the Covenant? It housed the presence of God. It's where God chose to dwell between the cherubim on this magnificent trunk that's overlaid in gold. And inside of it are kept the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod, which had budded, which represents authority, and a jar of the manna that God had provided, which, which spoke to God's faithfulness and His goodness. And the whole thing was overshadowed by the actual manifest presence of God. It was God's earthly address. And everybody honored the ark, but nobody wanted to go get the ark. What does a president do when he first comes into office? One of the first things they do is they talk about their plan for our first hundred days, right? Why? Because it speaks to their priorities. Here are the first things that we're going to accomplish because we see these things as the most important things. And what David did, the very first thing that he did after he was 
uh, established as king is he says, we're going to Obed-Edom's house, we're getting in the presence of God, and we're bringing it back here to be the center of our lives. No more on the outskirts of Israel business. We're bringing it right here. So unfortunately, the first procession didn't go so well. How would you have liked to have been the guy that didn't get very good instructions? Uzzah. <laughs> Jesse's laughing. And it's going to be very morbid about what I'm about to say next. If you know the story. Poor Uzzah. The, the ark is, is unbalanced and unsteady and he reaches out to steady the ark and he dies. That's a bummer. You might think, wow, well that doesn't seem very fair. But I'm telling you, Uzzah's death was a warning that God will not be handled. He will be honored. So David comes back a second time to get the ark. And he's bringing, he's got the ark, and he's bringing the ark back. And he gets to the intersection. He says, I I could make a left here and take the ark to the tabernacle of Moses in the city of Gibeon. That's where the priests are. That's where the Lord had prescribed in the book of Exodus, where the ark should be kept is in the tabernacle. And David could have said it all, this this reluctance, He could have set this religious structure all back up in place and let the priests handle everything. And then just, you know, occasionally he could just go visit the presence of God. He could just go visit the ark. But instead, David says, no, we're going to make a sharp right turn here and we're going to march the ark straight into the city of Jerusalem. And he didn't allow the priests to go out in front as the lead worshipers. He put on the ephod the priestly garment, and he got out in front and led the procession. He was the chief worship leader. And and when he gets to where his palace is on Mount Zion, he has a tent erected. And he says, put the presence of God right in there, right beside the house, right beside the palace. What's David doing here? He's saying, hey, The presence of God does not belong in the periphery. It does not belong in the fringe. It does not belong uh, on the outskirts of town. It does not belong out there. It belongs in the center. It belongs in our home. So we're going to make our home an altar to the presence of God. Why did he do this? I can only think for two reasons. Number one, David wanted to be close to God. Imagine being king and you get to say, put the tent right out there in the backyard. Put the ark under the tent. And every morning for your seat devotional, you get up and you get, you walk out of the house and you go into the tent and you get to stand before the presence of God. Wow. The second reason maybe that David did this so that everyone in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, that they would see that the presence of God is what we build around. We don't build 
around programs. We don't build around just whoever the king is and what he wants and likes at the moment. We don't build around monuments or buildings. We build around the presence of God. Why? Because we need the presence of God in our lives. Before David ever set out to go get the presence at Obed-Edom's house, it began with a pursuit and a vow that David made to the Lord in his own heart. He says, God, I won't even crawl into bed until I have found a resting place for the Lord. Why did David make this vow? Because he valued the presence of God over everything else. And he knew that if God's presence is at the very center, it changes everything. I hope you're getting this. I hope something is happening on the inside of you right now. I hope you're getting stirred that we're going to make our home an altar this year. And maybe you feel like, you know, hey, we've done, I'm pretty pleased. I think we've built our home as an altar. That's great. That's wonderful. But now's the time to not just put put it in cruise control. Now's the time to say, God, what else can we do to build an altar to you? What else can I do to be a living sacrifice? What else can I do to host more of your presence than I'm experiencing now? In 2023, this truth has not changed. We still need the presence of God. You need the presence of God. And you say, well, I mean, isn't God's presence everywhere all the time? At the same time? Yes, God is omnipresent. But there is a distinction between the omnipresence of God that is invisible, that holds all things in the universe together, and then what the Bible describes as the manifest presence of God. These are two different experiences. These are two different ways that we experience the presence of God. You know, there is, there's a difference between the omnipresence of God and then God making himself known in response to the building blocks that his people have placed who are creating a habitation, a spiritual habitation for his dwelling place. So what are those building blocks? How do we build an altar? Here are the building blocks. This is going to blow your mind. You're like, Jay, I've never heard anything like this ever before. You're going to be super surprised that these words are coming out of my mouth. What are the building blocks? Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. When you pray, God comes. Can anybody give testimony to that? Yes. Praise God. When you pray, God draws near. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that the Father is waiting in the secret place. What does that mean? It means He's near. It means He's waiting on us. And when we worship... Psalms 22 says that by our praise and our worship that God is enthroned. God being enthroned is actually the whole point of worship. It's not so that we can just get goosebumps and feel good and check the box and say, well, I did that today. No, it's about enthroning God himself. It's not to just kill time before the message so that you can show up late to church with a Starbucks in your hand. Thankfully, I didn't see anybody with Starbucks in their hand today. (laughs) Y'all are like, I am never coming back to this church with Starbucks in my hand. Listen, you can come with Starbucks, just don't be late. 
We live in a consumer culture, don't we? We live in a culture where we have been convinced that everything is about me. What is my preference? Well, Jenny, I just I don't even really like worship. Well, 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 you know, worship really didn't impact me today. You know, I, I just don't like all those songs. I mean, I'm glad y'all had a good time writing that song on Monday, but it's just okay, whatever. Why can't we sing the songs I like? We all have preferences. I have preferences. You might find it hard to believe, but this is the truth. This is the God honest truth. That sometimes we actually sing songs that are not my preference. (laughs) My worship leaders are like, yeah, it's true, because he tells us. I like some songs that some of y'all wouldn't like. You know, we got this whole thing going, well, the young people like these songs, and the older people like these songs. And and I'm kind of in the middle, and I just like a a myriad of a lot of stuff. I like the old hymns, and I like the modern stuff, and I like the praise choruses from the 70s and 80s. And guys, I like some of that rock and roll worship that sounds like Pearl Jam or Coldplay got saved. Some of y'all are like, I can hear it when you play guitar. I can hear what your preferences are. But JD, if you're the pastor, shouldn't shouldn't you like have a say over what the preference like your preferences? Shouldn't that shape what the church is and what our worship looks like? And I say no. Yeah, come on. Why? Come on. Because it's not about me. Yeah. If Seeds Church was only built on all of my preferences, it would look a lot different than it does. I didn't say it would be better. I just said it would be different. Yeah. <laughs> it would be different. It would. There, we do things around here that it's like, well, I wouldn't do it that way, but that's okay because, you know what? It's not about me. We're here to help the entire body discover who God's created them to be and equip them to do what He's called them to do. So that means i got to step out of the way and make some room. The presence of JD will not change your life for eternity. But the presence of God will. Yeah. At the end of the day, we can have our preferences, but we really have to realize that worship is not about us. It's about Him. It's funny, you know, I, I put this message together and a lot of what Jamie had to say this morning, she didn't know. She hadn't looked at my notes. She hadn't heard me, you know, saying any of these things this week as, I, as the Lord is putting these things in my heart. And yet... You know, today, this morning, she's saying these things. I'm like, man, girl, you're just preaching my message. It's encouraging to me because it, it it's affirming that I know what the Holy Spirit is doing something here in this place. And so we have to give attention to it. It does no good if we don't give our attention to it. We've got to realize worship is about Him. It's not about us. The worship that Jesus is looking for is not style-driven. It's heart-driven. Which means it's possible for us to say all the right words and our hearts still be far from Him. It's possible to jump through all the hoops and go through all the right motions and our heart not be attached to that. Now I want to say this. If your heart's not attached... 
don't let that be an excuse to say, well, peace out, I'm disengaged. I'm not going to do the right things. I'm not gonna... No, it just means, you know what? You need to just posture your heart before the Lord and get, get before God and say, God, I'm doing all the right things, but my heart's not in the right place. So you've got these 28 days, Lord, I'm giving it to you. And here's what I'm fasting. And I'm going to be in your word and I'm going to be in prayer. Align my heart with your heart, God. So that I don't just have a form of godliness, but I deny its power. Thankfully, we have a promise that if we will put together these building blocks in our lives, prayer and worship, if we put them together in our lives, if we put them together as a church, if we are like, yes, we're going to be a people of prayer and praise and worship and adoration and be a people who give our attention to the one who is seated on the throne. If we'll do that, God says, I will come. Yeah. And when Jesus walks into the room, I've seen people physically healed without anyone going over to prayer for them. They've been just in the room and the presence of God was there and they were healed. I've seen people have their hearts be softened. They had hard hearts and God softened their hearts. And I've seen God restore marriages and I've seen God impact children. And they were all in environments where there was prayer and worship happening. If we build a praying church, and if we build a praying and worshiping church, I can promise you two things. The body of Christ will be strengthened, not just here in this house, but the body of Christ will be strengthened. And what we have here will go forward to the nations. We will reach the nations of the world. We're not going to be a church that simply just sings the songs and send out a poll and find out what everybody wants and what their preferences are. And then we're going to just build a show around that. It's not about entertainment. It's about enthroning the one who's already enthroned in the heavens and seeing his throne be established here on earth. We're going to be people of praise. We're going to be people of prayer. And if you're waiting for me to do some kind of song and dance and get up here and break dance and entertain you, that's not going to happen. But if we're drawing near with a heart that says, God, we're desperate for you, then guess what? We're in the right place. Last week, we read in Exodus 33, God's getting ready to send the Israelites into the promised land. But the problem is is that their hearts had grown hard toward the Lord. And so God says to Moses, hey, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to keep my promises. But because the people's hearts have turned against me, I'm going to send you into the promised land. You can go forward. I'll send my angel out in front of you. He'll defeat your enemies. And you can take hold of all the promises I've given you, but I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be with you. And Moses' response is is convicting. And Moses says, God... I would rather stay in the wilderness without your promises than go into the promised land without your presence. We need to recognize our need for the presence of God. Let's be those who are not ashamed to be people of the presence of God.
Would the band go ahead and come on up? We're going to, in just a moment, we're going to sing this song again and declare again, we're going to make our homes an altar. But I don't know if you know people, or maybe you have felt this at some point in your life, that you want to be a person of the presence of God, but for some reason or another, there's some kind of like bashfulness attached to it. Let's get over that. Let's get, you know what? You know what will make that feeling flee? Intimacy with the Lord. Yeah. When you, when you become intimate with God, when you get to know Him better, when you have a strong relationship with the Lord, there's no bashful feeling about being a person of His presence. There's no embarrassment attached to being a person of His presence. There's no shame attached to being a person in this presence. You don't really care whether, what are, I don't care what they think about me. I care about what God thinks about me. I want to be a person in this presence. And this world desperately needs the presence of God. And they desperately need us to be people of His presence. You guys, it's not enough for us to just simply hear about God. It's not enough for our children to hear the testimonies of previous generations and their encounters with God. We have a generation that's on the face of the earth today that needs a divine collision with the presence of God. And it's not going to happen unless we create the habitation, unless we create this environment. We owe it to the next generation to do this, to be the forerunners, to create the habitation, the environment, the dwelling place, the resting place for the presence of God. Stand with me. Here's what I declare. I declare, and I I ask you to declare this with me, like in your own heart right now, in your own words. I declare that my home is going to be a resting place for the presence of God. I declare that this church is going to be a dwelling place for the presence of God. I declare that Middle Tennessee is going to be a habitation for the presence of God. That it's not going to be a stronghold for religious spirits, God, having the power, form of godliness but denying its power. God, I pray that we're that if Middle Tennessee and our homes and our hearts are not going to be a resting place for evil and foul spirits. If they're not going to, it's Middle Tennessee is not going to be defined by homelessness. It's not going to be a propaganda hub. It's not going to be defined by godless universities. Middle Tennessee is destined to be a resting place for the presence of God. And that's why we are here. That's why you are here. That's why Seeds Church is here. So in these next 28 days, as we're seeking the Lord and we're praying and we're fasting, let's take the next few moments, just the next few moments right here, and let's make a stand and declare that, that Lord, we like David, We're going to make our homes an altar. We, like Moses, we're saying, God, if I... I don't care about your promises if I can't have your presence. I want your presence more than anything. Let's sing this.